0: Everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Fearcast. This is the podcast dedicated to OCD, anxiety, anxiety spectrum disorders getting your life back. I'm your host, Kevin Foss. I'm a licensed therapist, specializing in OCD. I keep moving around while I'm doing this to try to get comfortable. I don't know, whatever, I'll just be uncomfortable. Um, thank you all for joining me, everybody. Um, I'm a licensed therapist. This is a question and answer based podcast, you get to send me questions. Most of you know how to do this. But as a reminder, uh, go to fearcastpodcast.com, go to the submit a question link there, send me your question there, and I will get it, read it and likely put it up on a future episode. You can also send me. A an audio question. Um, you can uh, email me a shared Google link. You could uh, to that audio, record it on your phone, send it up there. I'm sure there are smarter people out there who have suggestions about how to just upload it directly from the website. That's probably something I should look into now that I'm talking about it. Um, a faster and easier way to do that is honestly go over to Instagram. I'm over there. In, I'm Fearcast Fear Podcast over there, and um, follow me. First off check the little box or whatever you do over there, Um, and uh, send me a DM. uh, And in the little text box, press the microphone uh, button there. And that's how the majority of people are sending me their audio questions now. So as I mentioned before, audio questions get bumped, boom, to the top of the list, and it will be answered as soon as I record next. So... Um, throwing that out there as an incentive. Because again, you are so much more interesting than I am in hearing my ridiculous voice read these questions yet again. So either way, Um, everybody, I hope you all are doing well. Um, You know, we we just came. I, I suppose I could have done a whole episode for Valentine's Day and how Valentine's Day can either be fantastic for you or it can be awful for you. Um, And sometimes it's both for the same person for different reasons. Um, It would be a fantastic time to do an episode on ROCD. Um, And alas, I did not even put one out. Not on Monday. I don't know what I was thinking. I feel like here's my problem. One of my many problems. I know that there are things that like podcasters do and uh, other content creators, and they like anticipate things and they do things leading up to a big event or something like that. And I, I go like, "Oh, that's tomorrow." Oh. Well, I guess that's not going to happen. Um, it's not my favorite thing about myself. It's just I get distracted and um, sometimes don't do it. So I apologize if y'all were looking for that. I do have a couple of interviews that I have in the can that are fantastic. Uh, uh, and they should be, I'll, I'll be rolling those out shortly. But um, I did not want to just do interview after interview after interview without answering some questions. So we're going to be going over some questions today. I have a couple that I'm going to be answering. Couple meaning three. Um, sorry, threesome of questions. Questions will be answered uh, today. So, uh, without further yammering, let's jump into them. This first question comes from Marcus. Marcus says Hi, Kevin, I've listened to your podcast several times and found it very helpful. My story is that I've been dealing with OCD for about 10 years now, and my OCD has gone through several themes throughout that time. The most recent struggle is a fear of uh, contamination while eating. Yes, Marcus. Thank you for a for a contamination question. I don't get these very often. Uh, contamination questions. I get a lot of like sensory motor, which are great, and P- uh, POCD and ROCD, which are also great. I don't get a lot of contamination. This is great. Ah, uh, thank you, Marcus. All right, um, contamination while eating. I have a fear of eating foreign debris and particles that may have landed in my food without my knowledge or awareness, and I worry that it will make me sick. I'm also afraid of pieces of silverware, such as a plastic fork or plastic plate, breaking off into the food without me seeing it and worrying that it will make me sick as well. This has caused me immense anxiety while eating, and it has robbed me of my ability to enjoy the simple pleasure of food. It also causes some stomach problems and tension while eating due to the anxiety. Um... I have to recheck samples of my food before placing it in my mouth several times. I've had to analyze particles of the food to make sure that uh, it, it's just seasoning uh, or regular bits of food rather than dangerous particles of debris. What makes it very difficult to, to deal with is that the anxiety only bothers me as I, as I'm starting to eat the food. So I'm almost completely unprepared when it attacks. What are your re- recommendations for how to live with this fear? Thank you. Marcus. Oh man, what a pain. I'm so sorry that you that, that you're struggling with this. I, I know eating for a lot of people is, you know, is, is a highlight of their day. It's one of the things they look forward to and for you it's just been this this battle. So, um so there 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 are, there are a couple things that I'm, I'm 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 thinking of as far as as, far as exposure goes for this. I think ultimately, you know, the all right, the exposures that come up for, for, for this are ultimately going to help you to face this fear and to realize that, that one, we need to accept the uncertainty, right? I First off, I don't know if weird stuff is getting in your food. I don't know. I mean, when I use plastic forks or, you know, paper plates or plastic plates for that matter, you know, I, I don't know, if little bits are getting into my food and, and and I don't think anybody else knows. Now, if we if we're eating and like we feel a piece break off in our mouth, we'll you know, probably notice, in, in which case, the average person will probably just go right, just kind of spit that little thing out. If you caught it. But it sounds like, Marcus, you're struggling with the, the what if this happens, and what what if it causes some sort of effect? What if it makes me sick in some way? So we have to kind of put that to the test. First off, there's the existential reality of, of accepting this possibility. All of us are in it, and we've talked about accepting uncertainty as as just we don't know what's going to happen, right? We can say, "Gosh, you know what?" And, and um, there's a lot of like, you know theories and approaches bouncing around my head. You know, I hear the IBT people saying that you know you you accepting uncertainty is unnecessary within treatment because, you know, you can be certain about things. I mean, the reality is we can't be certain uh, that if a thing is going to break off our mouth, we can rely on our history. And, you know, Marcus, how often is this happening for you, right? Is is food breaking or uh, silverware breaking off in your mouth a lot, right? I wonder what the stories are that you're hearing that are contributing to this. Um, You know, I I imagine for some folks out there, they might be concerned that, you know, chemicals are leaching out, you know, from their silverware or, you know, uh, as you said, foreign debris or particles. There are chemicals from around us, environmental contaminants that are getting into our food. And that might be part of it. And that might be something to kind of break down with your therapist um, and, uh, you know, consider the the, the likelihood of that. Uh, now the, and the reason for considering the likelihood of that isn't to give you, you know, certainty, but it's to give you confidence that this thing that you're worried about is really unlikely to happen. Again, the unlikely to happen part is so that you'd be more willing to take that risk more willing to step forward if you can if you can recognize rationally cognitively that the thing you're worried about is really unlikely to happen perhaps you'd be willing to take a step towards it. Now, there are people out there who would argue against this point um, and say that we need to challenge ourselves and to to, um, uh, kind of be surprised by the fact that this thing doesn't happen. It depends on the therapist that you're working with, and from time to time, I will take both approaches. But I think for you in this case, I think it'd be helpful to uh, consider the likelihood. But it will come down to you taking the risk Right. There's the inhibitory learning model that's coming to mind. And I actually think that would be really beneficial for you. And what the inhibitory learning model does is it it helps you to, over time and through repeated experiences, learn that eating food is safe. Now I'm gonna again. I've talked about this. We're gonna put this in quotes. It's safe, right? It's safe, right? Again, like like everything else is safe. Like driving a car is safe, right? It's um, like you know walking down the street is safe. In that things could happen, right? All right, it's safe though. The name is terrible, and I hate the inhibitory learning model. I'm sorry. I mean, no, one, no one who created is listening to this. That's fine. Um, it's basically this. At some point, Marcus, you, your brain learned that eating is dangerous and that, that there's this possibility, and that would suck. All right? It learned this big rule. What we need to do is to learn a new thing so much, so um, uh, uh, we need to learn it so much and so fervently and so intensely that it inhibits that previous rule, right? It's never going to eradicate that rule, that rule is in mind. And it may show up, it will show up. But we need to be able to have this thing that we can trust on and rely on through your experience. And that's what it does. So the first thing is to think about, well, what are you afraid of? And what are your safety behaviors? Right? You're afraid of plastic forks uh, breaking off in your mouth or some contaminants getting in. Great. What are the safety behaviors you do? You inspect your food intensely. You check for the you, you check for the food, you analyze it. I imagine you analyze it in your mouth. I imagine you just simply avoid things, right? So what are the other things that you're doing, your safety behaviors that are keeping that bad thing from happening, from happening. And then we're going to put it to the test. The other part of that about that is, you know, what is it that you you feel you can't, you know, tolerate, right? And it might be the uncertainty, whatever, but I think in your case it's this A a distinct event, right? Or maybe the maybe the experience, maybe the worry that you're going to get sick. It's probably that. So then you have to put it to the test. You have to practice eating while pulling back on those safety mechanisms, right? And this is the exposure, right? So I imagine you know maybe eating and putting a blindfold on, and you eat. Um, if you've ever seen the movie about time and first off, everyone go see the movie about time. It's adorable. Um, if you have had a loved one pass away recently, do not watch the movie. It will make you cry your face off. But if you want to cry your face, you know, let's be honest, this movie is going to make everybody cry their face off. Probably. It's a delightful movie. It's done by the, um, the folks who did, uh, like about a boy and, um, uh, what is it? Love Actually. So it's kind of in that British. Vo- it's it is British, but it's kind of in that vibe. If you know that, anyways, I I like chick flicks. So I'm going to be honest. All right, so it, there there's a scene in it where they they go out to this date and they go down into the basement to this restaurant, right? And it's this cool, hip, funky restaurant, but the lights are totally off. There's you can't see anything, and the waiters have these. Um, you know, night vision goggles, and they are bringing the food out, and you know, you're having the conversation with somebody, but it's pitch black, right? And I, I think that's the environment ultimately for you to be in to start, to start, to take the risk that maybe something is going to get into your food, right? The other part is, you know, you can. I, I would also say, for a distinct period of time, only eat with plastic forks, only eat plastic forks, plastic knives, plastic whatever. And we're going to see what happens. We're going to firmly give you the opportunity to experience your worst fear and to see how often that happens. Now, in part, my kind of sick side says, I hope it happens. I hope it breaks off in your mouth. Because then you'll know what it's like. And then you'll know what the effect will be. I, likely speaking, you'll do this. Oh, that, That's there. You'll spit it out. Or nothing will happen. But we have to take the risk and to learn. It's either it either happens all the damn time or it never happens. Or it happens and there is no real or tangible or reasonable effect to it. But you need to try it out. So back to the inhibitory learning model. You're gonna put that to the test. You're gonna eat. And then you're gonna see how you're gonna see if you get sick. How soon, Marcus, do you think you're gonna get sick after you get some contaminant in your body? Now, mind you, you also said you get anxious, you get stomach pain from the anxiety. Keep that in mind because, or you get stomach problems, you said, because, and attention, okay, I was right the first time, because of the anxiety. Okay, so you, you might have stomach issues, you might get indigestion, you might get uh, diarrhea, you might get something because of the anxiety, Not, and you might vomit because of the anxiety not necessarily because of the food, but your brain is going to say, ah, see, it was because of the contaminant. We need to keep that in mind and keep going. We're looking to see if does this happen every single time and also is it worthy of going to the hospital or is it just uncomfortable and it passes. So also think about what is the illness that you're afraid of. We want to see if that's what's going to happen. We have to be open to seeing if that's what's going to happen. Right, So, Marcus, how soon after you eat the food is, are you going to get sick? Is it an hour? Is it two hours? If you don't get sick within three hours, will you assume that you're safe? Safe. Safe from it, right? Great. Then we're going to wait for three hours. And after three hours, you're going to say, you know what? I did the thing and I didn't do my safety behaviors and I didn't get sick that has to influence your your willingness to do the exposure again and in different arenas. So maybe you eat a safe food to start with and you realize you don't get sick. So maybe you're willing to then amp it up. So you're going to eat your safe food plus something else. You're going to go and take a little bit more of a risk than you previously would. And so on and so forth. And you realize as you continue to eat with your uh, your plastic utensils, you're not getting sick or you're not getting sick in the way that you imagined. I mean, people get sick, people have food poisoning sometimes, but that doesn't mean it's because of this fear that you're talking about. So I want you, Marcus, to go take these risks. Work with your therapist if you are working with a therapist on this, but I want you to think about what's something that you could change. What are your safety behaviors? What's one of them that you can pull out. Again, maybe it's you you wear a, uh, a blindfold. Sometimes when you, you cook the food, you put it on your plate, and then you put a blindfold on and you eat. Right? And you see what happens after three hours, two hours, one hour, five minutes, whatever it is. Do you get sick? Or does nothing happen? And then you go, you know what self I didn't get sick, because this anxiety is ridiculous. I can do this next time. And I could do this next time. And you amp it up and do all that stuff. So, Marcus, I hope that's really helpful. Um, send us an email back and let us know how it goes. This is a great question. I love contamination questions. They're super fun. Um, but again, for, for, for now, man, y- y- use plastic utensils. I think that would be – face that fear. And if it's just using it that one time, great but you need repeated exposures in as many different environments as possible to really drive home the point eating is safe and eating with different utensils is safe. Okay, I've done enough with that one. Um, If you have follow-up questions, everybody, let me know. I would love to hear them. All right, excuse me. I'm going to drink some of this coffee. It's so hot. It's way too hot. Okay, this next question comes from Veronica. Veronica says, how do you get family members to understand an OCD diagnosis and to be supportive? Is it necessary for or to successful treatment to have family members involved? It seems like OCD and anxiety can be seen as a weakness and a choice or just an excuse um, and that you can just think your way out of it but it's not. Support and understanding can be extremely helpful to not feel misunderstood when OCD is um, already isolating. Some people, unfortunately, have a hard time understanding something uh, that they can't experience. So much education and awareness needs to be spread about OCD and all anxiety disorders. Thank you for what you do. Veronica, you're totally right having family members on board and supportive and understanding of the process can be incredibly helpful. Is it necessary? I'm, I'm going to say no, but I'm going I'm to say no. What is most important is your willingness to face your fears. It is great to have family members on board, but if, if Veronica, if you or a listener out there is in that place where they recognize that they are going through that OCD cycle, right? And again, the OCD cycle is a thought, feeling, image, sensation, or urge or urge that causes this obsessive doubt, this story, this what, gosh, what if this happens? If this happens, then this happens. And it tells you this long story. The outcome is, oh, no, I don't want that to happen. That's the anxiety. Or anxiety or emptiness or sadness, or it is an unwanted feeling state, followed by compulsion to try to get rid of that feeling state or to try to rectify that story and to make sure that that story doesn't play out as you have feared. Once you've done that compulsion, a reassurance, a, a excuse me, relief usually comes. Relief, reinforce a relief, uh, uh, peace, happiness, uh, homeostasis, whatever it is. You feel better and safe and reassured again. The problem is it reinforces that association between that thought and that action. And now your brain says, "Oh, whenever I have this thought or come across this uh, trigger and this experience, this is the thing that I have to do." right? That's the OCD cycle. All right. If you see that you're in that and you said, I'm sick and tired of it, I need to break it is it is ultimately at the end of the day up to you to break this. There is no therapist, there is no family member, there is no book, there is no nothing that is going to do it for you. You have to do it. I know I'm sounding harsh, perhaps. Think about it as, you know, if you went to the gym, and you want to get in shape, or you want to get healthier, whatever it is, you go in and you get this personal trainer and they, you know, you say, all right, get me in shape. And they say, great. I want you to, to run, uh, run a half a mile. And then I want you to lift those weights. And you go, can you do that for me? That would be great. You're not going to get anywhere. You will be the one who has to pick up the weights. Now it's, It's so much more helpful when you have that personal trainer going, you can do it, and family members going, you can do it, and loved ones going, you got this. I get that. You will have to pick up the weights. Okay. All right, so is it necessary uh, to have – no, I've already answered that probably way too much. Um, But how can you get family members behind you? So uh, through education and patience and compassion for them – all right? Now, first off, you might be surprised by your family members. Some ways you can do that best are you send them an article or two on uh, on um, uh, uh, the type of, on, you can start with general OCD, but you can start, you can also go with the type of OCD that you are struggling, the subtype that you're struggling with. Have them read through it. Be open to answering their questions. They're going to ask a bunch of dumb questions or a bunch of offensive questions or a bunch of ignorant questions. And those are great because they're questions that you can answer with compassion and peace and encouragement, right? You can do all of those things. So the other thing that you want to try to do then is to, is to, um, uh, you can bring them into a therapy session. If you are seeing a therapist, um, I, I really like to kind of bridge the gap for folks. Um, to kind of illustrate that, you know, OCD is on the anxiety spectrum. It's kind of a more intense version and has more of a kind of a, a, it has a a bizarre component to it, meaning it's 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 atypical, but it's still stuff that people worry about and behaviors that people do to cope. Right? I kind of try to coax some, or bring someone in by saying, "Hey, what are you afraid of?" Right? Are you afraid of heights or spiders or snakes or you know whatever it might be, and try to use that to give them understanding. Like, oh, you're afraid of you're afraid of heights. Well, what are you afraid of happening? Right. Uh, well, you know, if I go up here, I'm going to fall to the ground. Like, that's scary. What do you do about it? Well, I, you know, I don't do that, or I hold on to the railing really, really tight. Um, and, and it helps to give them an understanding that they're afraid and they kind of do compulsions, but, you know, they're not falling to their death. The other thing you can do is to talk about what OCD is. Hey, what is your understanding of OCD? And they'll say things like hand washing, right? That's what most people think OCD is. Well, Great. What happens during a, a contamination obsession? It's like, well, they're afraid they're going to touch a doorknob and then they're gonna get sick so they don't want, so they wash their hands a bunch of times even though they're whatever um, and that makes them feel better and you say, yeah, and you say, all right when they touch that doorknob, are they actually sick or are they actually now contaminated or going to get sick? They'll probably say no, they're washing their hands for no reason go. You know, yeah, kind of like that. But that's what happens. The person who touches that doorknob even though they, you know, you and me and everyone else does think or knows that it's it's safe, something in their brain says it's terrifying and says that it's awful and says that you have to do something to make sure you feel better. Kind of like why you grab the railing when you're going upstairs. The railing is safe, the the stairs are safe, the heights are safe, but there's something in your brain saying, "Oh no." Right? So you can draw that comparison. There are people out there, I will say, who view OCD as a weakness, right? There will there will be people out there who just simply are unwilling to understand and unwilling to get on board. Those folks it sometimes is easier to not convince them and to not get them on board. And we choose our battles. If they are are going to be uncompassionate to you, then we choose our distance from them and we run our own race as best we can. You challenge yourself and improve the best you can knowing that they are going to either not be willing to help or they're going to be an antagonist to you you run your race as best you can and talk to the people who love you and do encourage you about how frustrating that is and how sad that is but we still run our own race so the other part though is you know the the person who says it's a weakness and a choice there there is a choice component to it i i, I get i get that point of it feels if it, it's so painful it is so limiting it is such a a a depressing uh, experience to be through this, and and there is a there is a yes but no component to the choice, and we can acknowledge that there is a choice to do compulsions. And I hear the critics out there who are saying, "But I don't have a choice. I have to do it." Um, and, and I, I will to that person, I will say you don't have to do the compulsion. And that is the thought process that is keeping you in the cycle. So many people who have done exposure and response prevention have defied that voice and have overcome it. It's hard. Ain't no one telling you it's easy. It's hard, but it's worth it. We start small and we get stronger, right? So but the person who says, hey, it's only a choice and you can just choose your way out of it, that person's being ridiculous. And that person may be that person who's just unwilling to understand that it it's not just turn it, you know, a light switch that you can just turn off. Psychoeducation can help, but at some point if they just go, nah, still a choice, we choose not to waste our time then. On trying to convince them of something they are unwilling to understand, and that's hard. So, I you know I've kind of went all over the place. Hopefully, this hasn't been such a downer. But my main, the main takeaways for you, Veronica, would be education, compassion for their ignorance, and and continuing to run your own race, send them these podcasts, send them, you know, if there's a podcast that I did, or, or, or Stuart has done in the OCD stories, or Kimberly has done or anybody else has done, um, send it to them, right? If there's a video out there, and there are great videos out there. Um, send them those videos. And perhaps that can be helpful. Um, to get them on board and slowly but surely, there are great books out there. I say now is the best time to have OCD because now is the now has the most good information out there, free and easy to find. So, Veronica, I hope that was helpful. I hope you can get people on in in your corner and uh, uh, and supporting you. So, thanks so much for that question. All right, let's jump to this last question because I need to get out of this office soon. And um, here we go. This question comes from Kat. Kat says, Hello, I've been listening to your podcast for a while now. It's been helpful. It has helped me to better understand this OCD journey that I'm on. Uh, and for that, I'm grateful. Um, I am a mother of two under two. And I started experiencing experience severe postpartum OCD after I had my oldest last year. And it has amplified tremendously since having my second son last month. My question for you is... Does ERP therapy work for people who are suffering from obsessions but don't have compulsions? If so, how does that work? So Kat, thank you so much for that question. I hope, Kat, you've listened to the postpartum OCD episode that I did. I did this with... um, excuse me, Kelly Frankie. this, uh, you can go back, if you just search uh, postpartum OCD, um, it was published on February 16th, 2019. Um, this was the episode, if you listened through it, this is the episode right before the world shut down from COVID. So, um, but there was still, you know, the rumblings of this thing that might be coming and it's, it's happening over there in China and it's coming over here and, and what's going to happen. And um, Kelly and I made some really untoward jokes that uh, I promptly apologized for because, but between the time that I recorded and the time that I published, which is like a couple of days, the tone about COVID shifted so dramatically that I I, I felt it necessary to go in and apologize for the jokes that we were about to make. Um, so keep that in mind. But either way, check out that that uh, that that. Um, Podcast. So, Kat, to your question though, is does ERP therapy work for people who are suffering from obsessions but don't have a compulsion? So what you're talking about is commonly known as pure O. Pure O is, and I'm gonna call it a misnomer, and this is a this is controversial apparently. But my position is this: there are there for OCD, for someone experiencing OCD, there are always compulsions is someone it, no one gets out of ocd without compulsions but the idea of pure o is that there are it's purely obsessional there are no compulsions there are no external compulsions or there are very few minimal or none observed external compulsions but what there are are internal compulsions mental compulsions now some people say yeah but those aren't actions i will maintain those are those are cognitive Actions; those are those are thought behaviors. They are effortful thoughts that go into this process. Because then, what's happening? If you don't have compulsions, what you have are thoughts. And the diagnosis for a person who has thoughts is human. We all have thoughts that run through our head. We all have intrusive thoughts. We all have associations. We all get dark thoughts, too. I'm sick of people out there telling telling me that they don't have dark thoughts or they just think happy thoughts. No, you don't. You either have an ability, a greater ability to move past those thoughts, or you're lying to me. I think it's the second one, really. I think they're just lying to me, and themselves for that matter. Anyways, we all get these thoughts. Someone with OCD has compulsions, but, you, but with pure O, they are internal. Now, um, I did a whole episode, or I did a whole article on um, on uh, uh, mental compulsions, and you can go find that. There's an article, I think I put it on Psychology Today. There's a, a, There are a couple things that, that are out there. I'll try to find some and publish it on the um, uh, episode page for this. So... What I would encourage you to to notice, Kat, are what are the thoughts that you're doing. Now, the thoughts can include things like um, things like uh, well first off, you can get engage in thought suppression. This is if a form of avoidance, right? It's you're trying to sh- shove a thought out of your head because if you don't have the thought, you don't have the problem, right? right? But the problem is it's effortful, right? And also, how does that work for you? Probably not well. For everyone out there, don't think about that white elephant. It's bad for you. Stop it. Stop thinking about the white elephant. It probably didn't go very well. Because now you're thinking about it, right? But thought suppression is one of those things. Sometimes people will do scenario twisting. they will start, they will think about the past, right? I mean, our thoughts go way into the past way in the future. When it goes into the past, it's, all right, I'm going to think about an event in the past and then try to change a couple of details and then see how I feel to see if, man, if I had done this differently, I, my life would be different in this way and I wouldn't be here and my life would be bad. Or man, I'm glad I did this because if I didn't do, if I did this differently, oh man, I would have gone down this path. The future can also be, how do I plan exactly for the future? Maybe for you, and I'm just going to go out on a limb and guess, for you, for some uh, folks with postpartum, OCD, it can can be, how do I plan out exactly what I'm going to do during my child's nap time or my child's bath time or changing my child's diaper? All right, I do this action, I do this thing, and I I choreograph the whole thing ever so carefully so I know that I'm not going to do anything dangerous. I can be sure that I ran the protocol and I know that I didn't drown them, hurt them, abuse them, whatever it might be. Right. It could be that. Um, avoidance again is very, very popular, but it's not a, comp- it's not a repetitive action, right? It's not washing your hands. It's not, um, you know, uh, tapping on the desk three times, right? It's not ordering things, but it still is a compulsion of avoidance that you feel compelled. You have to do it or else, right? so, How does ERP therapy work for people who are suffering from obsessions but don't have compulsions? The first is to become aware of the mental compulsions you're doing and to practice resisting that effortful process. You also practice then allowing for those thoughts to be present. Now, you can do that in a number of different ways. Um, I I really like writing them on um, post-it notes and posting them all over your house, all over your life so you can't escape them. Um, You can write scripts about them. This is a story about the worst case scenario happening for you, and you read it and reread read it, reread it, reread it until you become bored with it. And the point of it is so that you have the thought in mind while practicing resisting those mental compulsions, right? Um, and there are a number of other different ways, right? But it, it is ERP is still effective for someone who has mental compulsions. Acceptance and commitment therapy, I think, is also one of the best things that you can do to infuse into treatment. I've talked a lot about ACT. I'm sure you've heard a lot about ACT by this time. Um, I'm not going to uh, bore everybody, but it's the point of it is, is that we accept the presence of a thought while intentionally making um, thoughtful, meaningful actions towards the life that we want. I imagine the mental compulsions you're doing are not things that you want to do, but you feel you have to do for the safety of your children. We need to, just like the the point to Marcus, we need to put that to the test. I'm going to pull back on the safety behavior, which is the mental compulsion, and see what happens. My money is on nothing will happen, but we need to put that to the test and do it over and over and over and over and over again until you see, oh, until your brain realizes it's safe again in that things happen but they're super unlikely to happen and we can trust and have confidence in ourself and in our world around us so that in a nutshell cat is how erp therapy can work for folks who quote don't have compulsions so i hope that has been helpful and i'm gonna slide the um uh, uh, the end of music right here thank you all so much for joining me for this episode um I Every time I do one of these uh, question and answer ones, I, I remember how much I enjoy them. So thank you all for joining me for this. Um, Uh, again if you have feedback for me go over to fearcast podcast or instagram and let me know if you like the show also uh give a like give a thumbs up give a review if you can take a moment to write a review on whatever platform you get your podcasts that would be be meaningful to me it would also be meaningful to somebody else to um uh, so that they can help it helps them to find this podcast you found it i hope it's been helpful for you and hopefully it can be helpful for somebody else so um Let's see here. I think that's all I got for today. Um, please remember, everybody, that the FearCast is not a substitute for psychotherapy. If you need a little bit of help in your recovery, go over to fearcastpodcast.com, and they're going to be uh, click on the Find Help link. There's going to be some information for you there. So until next time, everybody, take a risk, challenge yourself, and don't take your brain too seriously. Bye.